Hi there, welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Stedham. This week we're going to look at four brief stories from the Hebrew Bible. We're going to talk about four characters from the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to look at them from uh, a rather unique perspective this time. We're going to look upon them as improvisers. Now, some of you may remember an old TV show called MacGyver. He was a special agent who was very good at improvising. He would take a bit of scotch tape, maybe a paper clip or something like that, and be able to defuse a bomb. He was always good at improvising. Uh, some of us are not particularly good at that. I need a uh, set of directions. I need special tools if I'm going to do something. Improvisation in that sense, not really my strong suit. But in the stories we're going to look at today, all four of these characters took what they had at hand and were able to improvise something that was needed, and we'll talk about the motivation behind it. The first character we're going to talk about is Noah. And we're going to talk about just a brief little scene at the end of his adventure on the ark. Now remember, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Noah and his family and all those animals were on the ark, however, for about a year. Because after the great flood, it took about a year for the waters to subside. And finally, when they got off of the ark, you can just imagine the relief, having been a sea for, at sea for um, over a year, uh, it probably got pretty cramped on that ark, and uh, probably somewhat uh, unpleasant with all the animals they were taking care of. So the family had a lot to be thankful for. Noah had a lot to be thankful for. In the 8th chapter of Genesis, we're going to read, starting with verse 18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds... Everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So remember when Noah was putting the animals on the ark, the uh, instructions were somewhat unusual. He was told to bring two animals of each kind, male and female. We're familiar with that part. The part you might have forgotten is that he was also in, he was also instructed by God to bring along seven of each of the clean animals. Now, uh, it's kind of interesting because by this time in the Hebrew Bible, the concept of clean and unclean animals had not really been specified. Uh, obviously, the Hebrews who read this later uh, knew what uh, was being talked about here. And this uh, particular scene is probably why we believe uh, God commanded Noah to bring clean animals uh, in the number of seven, because let's face it, if he had only say, brought two cows with him, cows were clean animals, and he decided he wanted to do a sacrifice, well, um, no more hamburgers, basically. So uh, at least he had a few extras, a few to spare, uh, as it turned out uh, in this case. So Noah is able to improvise an altar. Now, an altar in its original form is just a place where an animal sacrifice would have been made, a place where Noah would have... Uh, taken the animal, and he would have uh, killed the animal and then 
burned it up, and that's what was pleasing to God. So Noah was the first improviser. He improvised this uh, altar in order to be able to sacrifice these animals. The next great improviser we're going to talk about is Abraham. Well, actually, when we meet him in the 12th chapter of Genesis, his name hasn't been changed yet. It's still Abram. And he has been ordered by God to leave the land where his father had taken them and to continue his journey into what was called the promised land. Now, Abram is going to carry out this journey. He was the first uh, of the people that God made this uh, promise to, that he made this connection with, uh, the first to have the covenant relationship with God, the covenant that's going to mean so much to us uh, throughout the story of the Bible. And we're going to be reading now in the 12th chapter of Genesis, just a couple of verses here, beginning with verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the, he the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued across the Negev. So here we have the beginning of Abraham's worship of God. Like Noah, he is able to improvise an altar. Now, it doesn't tell us about the sacrifices that he may have uh, performed on this altar, but that is implied in why he actually would have built an altar. Another thing, of course, that is given birth here is the name to a kajillion Baptist churches. Because, yes, this is a place called Bethel, or Bethel, the home of God. And uh, if you've ever been in the South and anybody's ever given you directions somewhere outside of a large city, it was probably somewhere involving turning right at the Bethel Baptist Church or stopping across the street from the Bethel Baptist Church, a very popular name in the Old Testament, and it continues to be a very popular name in the Southern United States. Our third improviser this week is Jacob. This is Abram's grandson, and Jacob is a very interesting character in the Hebrew Bible. He was a bit of a trickster. He's somebody who cheated his brother, and yet he is also the child of promise. He is the one that God decides to continue his covenant with, uh, the covenant that began with Abram. Well, in this case, we were going to see a slightly different kind of improvisation that Jacob has. Jacob is running away from his brother, who was quite angry with him for stealing his birthright and his father's blessing, and really rightfully so, he was angry with him. And so Jacob is now going to have a vision that's pretty familiar to us. We're in the 28th chapter of Genesis this time, beginning with verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. 
Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So once again, we get the name Bethel, which we had uh, earlier been introduced to in the story of Abram, and now this is the house of God. Instead of an altar, Jacob sets up a different kind of memorial. He stands up a rock, the rock that he had used for a pillar uh, on the night before. Many ancient peoples would do this in order to mark something significant, a place where something significant had happened. They would take a stone and turn it upright. So in a place that it, it, it would be in the same place, but it would not be in the state uh, in which it had first been there. So the people would do this so that as future generations would say, well, what's that rock doing over there standing on its uh, side? Then the parents or grandparents would relate the story to their children. Also, this is a very interesting story because it introduces the stairway to heaven. Uh, now, was there a bustle in the hedgerow? Not in the Old Testament, but uh, certainly those of us of a certain generation can't hear that phrase without thinking about that. So, Jacob pour, pours the oil on top of this to mark the place, but now it's a standing stone. It's a pillar from a pillow, and this is going to mark the place where Jacob believes that he has encountered God. Our fourth and last improviser in today's lesson is Samuel. He was one of the judges. In fact, he was the last judge before Israel insisted on having a king. Now, the people of Israel had had a running feud with the people called the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a seafaring people who had landed and started setting up uh, places to live along the, uh, the western side of, of what became Israel. And they were their arch enemies. Well, actually, they were their ark enemies because they had even stolen the Ark of the Covenant. And but by the time we're in today's lesson, First Samuel chapter 7, the Philistines have defeated the Israelites a couple of times. So the Israelites have been fairly uh, deflated. Their uh, egos were bruised. They were in a downtime, and it was tough. So Samuel is uh, leading the people, and his inspirational leading is going to, well, it's going to spark something. And we're also going to find out where a very, another very famous name came from today. So we're in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to begin reading with the 7th chapter and verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. 
Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. That's an unusual name, isn't it? Well, Charles Dickens, the uh, English novelist, did not name his characters by accident. He found some great names like Uriah Heep. I mean, he was known for great names, and maybe one of the most famous names he ever picked out of the Old Testament was this, Ebenezer. Unfortunately for us today, the name Ebenezer draws an entirely different meaning. We, we have a lot of different connotations about that name. But originally, the name meant a stone of help. It was an inspiration. It was something that Samuel set up to remind the Israelites that God was on their side, that God would lead them in battle, and that God would take care of them. So, really, the name Ebenezer... Uh, to the Israelites had a quite different meaning. Uh, there's a, an old hymn that we sing sometimes, Here I Raised Mine Ebenezer, and for years I wondered about that. Finally, I saw a more modern uh, songbook, and there's a little asterisk there, and it tells you it means stone of help or stone of hope. And uh, again, I didn't know this story at first, so it's kind of nice to bring that back around. So maybe this has redeemed the name Ebenezer for us a little bit. Well, what do these four characters have in common? What they have in common is a trust in God, a faith in God, and the ability to find a way to worship God, to thank God, even under unusual circumstances. Well, certainly, during uh, this time of pandemic, we've had to improvise. Not only our church, but many other churches have found ways to have outdoor services, drive-in services. We've all found ways to improvise. And really, that's what's important here. It's not the place that we are. It's not the accoutrements that are around us. It's the heart that we have. And these four biblical characters used what materials were available, and they did a pretty good job with them. So let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the many, many blessings you have given us, and we thank you for the ability that we have to express our thanks to you, whether it's in a traditional worship service, in a sanctuary, or whether it's out in the woods, under the trees, wherever we can reach you, we are thankful for that opportunity. Help us to take your message into the world this week. In Christ's name, amen.